Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast, because it is always college football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as S. George at R on Twitter. And I'm Matt, also at Matt Swartz 723 It's time to actually talk about real, honest-to-God 2023 Big Ten football. Honest to God, but is that like Midwestern values, Big Ten football? Yes, one and the same. Thanks for noticing. And we're going to start with the Big Ten West. That's right, the Big Ten West. It is the last year of this garbage divisional alignment, right? After 2023, there's no more, you know, eight and four unranked conference championship game participant nonsense. So we're going to find out a lot about where, uh, you know, all these programs stand when kind of thrown into the deep end here next year in 2024. And I'm curious what a lot of them think is realistic from a competitive standpoint in that world. But for now, anyway, it is still the Big Ten West. That's the... Yes, everybody, plug your nose and hold your breath because we're going to be talking about some very putrid offense. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the bad news. The good news is that I do actually think this is going to be like a pretty fucking interesting year for the Big Ten West, given everything that's happened in the past nine months, some coaching changes, some uh, ultimatums, if you will. So we're going to talk about you know, what it is we think is interesting uh, and kind of how we think all of this shakes out here in 2023 before the West ceases to exist. So we decided that the way we're going to do this, and when Matt pitched it to me, I was like, oh, sir, that sounds ambitious. Yeah, you were pretty skeptical. I, it just, I feel like it requires a level of funny that neither you nor I is capable of achieving, but we're going to do our best. Matt pitched previewing Big Ten teams as 2023 things. We're being a little bit generous on 2023. We might dip into late 2022 or whatever, but we'll the work. idea is... We're going to compare all of the teams in the Big Ten, both East and West, of course, just West today, to a thing that was popular in 2023, an event from 2023, just something that was in the cultural consciousness of this year so far. And we're going to try to be funny while we do it, which is why I said it was ambitious. That's the plan. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> we're going to start at the bottom. We'll have some fun with it. But yeah, I think that's the, uh, the probably right move here is we're going to start at the bottom, and we'll go upward in ascending order for basically our projection of how we think these teams turn out. And uh, and like you said, as we go through, we will share our 2023 thing that we have attributed to each of these teams. All right, starting with the bottom, the worst team in the Big Ten West, I don't think is particularly debatable <laughs> at this stage, has to be your Northwestern Wildcats. Yeah, things are... Uh, Things are not good at Northwestern, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, the on-field product is, is pretty much went to shit like the last two years, right? I mean, after their you know, weird conference champion or yeah, conference championship game appearance. Do you remember so, that they were like honest to God competitive with Ohio State yeah, they were for in a half that game. in that game? I mean, they were in it the same way that the Big Ten West team is always in it, which is to say that they have like a pretty good defense and no offense. So at the half, it's like you know, a, a one touchdown game and they're kind of in it and they just don't have the horses to keep up. I feel like that's the story basically every year. Correct. So yeah, they were in it in that way. But anyway, things have gotten much worse since then. And then this offseason, the last week, really, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it kind of seemed like, at least to me, that Pat Fitzgerald was one of those forever coaches like Kirk Ferentz and some of these guys who are just there forever. I mean, he played at Northwestern in the 90s and has been there for, had been there for 17 years with no apparent indication of him going anywhere anytime soon. 
Yeah, I don't know a Northwestern football without Pat Fitzgerald at all wow. as a practical yeah, that's, matter. <laughs> that's a fair point. I really don't. So obviously there were some horrific allegations levied against Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern as a program for, you know, hazing that included, I mean, horrific allegations of sexual assault for lack of a better way. I mean, that is what it is. I'm not, we're not going to sugarcoat that. Also some pretty rough allegations of racism in and around the program that came out in the days after that. Like it has been real bad, apparently not just on the field, but off the field. And because of that, Fitzgerald is gone. And defensive coordinator David Braun, who was hired a few months ago as defensive coordinator from North Dakota State, is now the interim head coach, which is probably not what they had in mind when they made that hire. No, probably not. So that's kind of where things are at. Again, not good. I think as you're kind of looking at what this year's team projects to be, it's, I don't know, it's always really hard to know what, like, when you have that much chaos pretty hard to know what it's actually going to play out as I think the defense will probably still be okay they have a couple good linebackers they're Northwestern that's just kind of been their thing for a while they did also get a probably not terrible quarterback in transfer Ben Bryant who came from Cincinnati they have Cam Porter who's a solid running back but you look around the offense and it's just it's going to be really bad again I mean it has been for the last two years and Again, they probably got a little bit of an upgrade at quarterback, but there is just not much to work with there. And it's a pretty dire situation, really, for the next few years when you look at the state of the roster and, again, the Big Ten West folding after this year and just the general like academic requirements at Northwest. There's just a lot of stuff that makes that job not super compelling to begin with <laughs> and even less compelling right now. For, you know, somebody like Sharon Moore, perhaps, if that were to be relevant. Yeah, Sharon, close your eyes, turn, look a different direction. Just don't do that. (laughs) For the love of God, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation just because there aren't that many Power 5 jobs to begin with. There are even fewer in what are really the two power conferences now, which are the Big Ten and the SEC. So come next year, I'm never going to say, like, you shouldn't look at one of those jobs if you have the opportunity for that to be your first head coaching job, but... That's a discussion for next year, and frankly, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on them right now, given that we're trying to preview the on-field <laughs> outlook for 2020. I would argue that there are two and a half power conferences because I think the ACC still counts. I think that's fair for now. Like I, I understand why you're saying the Big 12 and Pac-12 don't count. I mean, as soon as Texas, Texas and Oklahoma are out the door, the Big 12 is dead. And it's like Pac, half a group of five. Conference. The Pac-12 yeah. is also dead as of next year. But the ACC still kind of exists. Like Clemson exists and Florida State, I expect sure. to be very competitive this year. And, you know, Miami is Miami and they, they still have the, the ability to yeah. pop up just with the talent that they're able to recruit to, you know, this warm school full of hot people. Sure. Like they exist. I'm just saying I think it's two and a half. I think that's fair. Yeah. But if I'm thinking about it, like from a long term standpoint, the money and the resources, the Big Ten and the SEC are collectively kind of on their own tier. So there's arguments to be made about why somebody should look at that job. But that's a discussion for next off season. Right now, it's it's going to be a pretty rough year on the field for them. This is probably the worst team in the Big Ten, maybe by a significant margin. I mean, what we you're talking about a team Indiana. that was 109th in offensive SP plus last year, and I can't really foresee that improving in any way. What were they on defense? 77th. <laughs> Much better. Yikes. I mean, that is substantially better. Like, at least that makes you a middle of the Relatively road speaking, yes. ish right. 
defense, like not a middle of the road power five defense. It still makes you a bad power it's five still defense. Still below average, even a middle of the all, road among all FBS teams. Yeah. Like I said, we're just not going to spend a whole lot of time on them because it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty bad. And yeah, I expect Northwestern will be somewhere down in that same range, SP plus wise again, probably in contention with Indiana for worst team in the Big Ten. So our uh, 2023 comp. I, uh, I kind of struggle to come up with one here because, I don't know, can you think of anything that, like, wholesale imploded as a result of negligent mismanagement? Nothing comes to mind. Did something happen <laughs> lately? I don't know. It's, uh, we're, we're just going to move on from that one. Right yeah, into, I'm going to uh, let that one speak for right itself, into. honestly. If I have to explain that one, we're going to, this is the wrong podcast. We're going to keep moving. Exactly. So that brings us to uh, team number six. Again, we're going up here in ascending order from bottom to top. And that's uh, Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Nebraska is anywhere near contending for the division right now. In 2021, they were like the best 3-9 and nine team in SP Plus history, but not so much in 2022. We thought they would be on the upswing after 21 that maybe they would start right with scott frost it was like they were always kind of on the cusp of like being good and they just never never got there no and i I still don't really expect them to they've obviously brought in matt rule um so a coaching change for what feels like the zillionth time in my conscious football observing tenure because i feel like i remember bo pelini quite well yeah and it's been a long time. They'd kill for nine and three right now. Oh God, yeah, they would. They would commit felony <laughs> crimes for nine and three right now because it's been a rough time to be a Nebraska fan, really. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, and Matt Rule is like I think undisputedly a, a good hire, given what he did at Baylor and Temple before that. I mean, he's a good college coach. And he's kind of branded himself in some ways as like a rebuild expert. I mean, when you're talking about. Yes what Baylor was when he stepped in and, you know, Temple is Temple. Right. That's kind of what they need at this stage, which is odd given, you know, the hype that we, you know, the the hype with which the Scott Frost tenure began. Right. But I I really do think that's where Nebraska is at this stage. Yeah. And and given what rule is, which is kind of a more, for lack of a better word, like Harbaugh-ish coach, and that, you know, he kind of wants to have like, a pro style running game. I need to see him defense. mow a lawn before we can decide whether or not he's hard. <laughs> oh, no, nobody's hardball in that way. No, I need new balances on a riding mower immediately. Push ups oh. in the hotel hallway. Or else. Come on. Yeah, I mean, given what we know about Rule, though, I do think the defense will be better. I've heard that the, uh, the offense is, quote unquote, on a crusade to bring back the huddle. So that's a draw your own conclusion situation it's kind of hard to be super inspired by marcus satterfield who he brought in as offensive coordinator hasn't had particularly good offenses but there are some decent players casey thompson transferred out but they brought in jeff sims from georgia tech who's a pretty good athlete a guy who's better than he got credit for on that georgia tech team anthony grant i think is a a really talented running back marcus washington um, a couple of good tight ends and Thomas Fedone and Eric Gilbert, who was a freshman All-American at LSU a few years ago and then kind of bounced around and hasn't really played much. But anyway, they've got some interesting guys on offense. And then similarly on defense, Luke Reimer, Nick Heinrich at linebacker, Quentin Newsom at corner. It's not it's not like Michigan or Ohio State level where they've got a bunch of first-team All-Big Ten caliber guys, but they have a decent level of talent for the Big Ten West. Probably the bigger problem for them really is the line play. 
offensive and defensive line play were both just god-awful last year. And unfortunately for Nebraska, that's something that is going to take some serious fixing after the Scott Frost bullshit frippery experience. And Matt Rule's probably the right guy to do it, given what we were just talking about, but that is something that's going to take a minute. So it just feels like, given what they're trying to transition to, this is a like check back in a year or two situation. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Nebraska under Scott Frost, I think the hallmark of it was that they were a very interesting but poorly coached team. Yeah. In general, you know, they they pretty much always have a few very interesting guys on both sides of the ball, exactly the circumstances that you just described. Right. And, you know, every once in a while, Scott Frost would pull, and, and it wasn't even that infrequent. Every once in a while makes it seem more infrequent than it was, but pretty frequently, Scott Frost would show up with some absolutely brilliant sneaky ass play that pissed you off when you were playing yeah, he against did a lot them. of creative bending slash breaking the rules bullshit and you got to give them some credit for that but, but also, they were like, fundamentally unsound yes, right. which is the problem and and nowhere does that show through more than the line play and and exactly. so I, I think that's exactly right they're gonna they're gonna need work it's a tbd situation on them so wait and see yeah yeah, and I think going back to the point at the beginning, this is not a team that's going to be in contention this year. Come back in 2024 and we'll see. But I think for a 2023 comparison, this was actually one of the harder ones in terms of trying to come up with something that fit kind of a, a refresh. And the one that we came up with here was Nebraska is 2023 Aaron Rodgers, which is to say went through a split after an extended run of something that never quite worked out the way that it seemed like it should in terms of success. And now, again, kind of a, a refresh, a fresh start that's probably for the best, with the important note that the best days are in the past, so expectations should be managed accordingly. I think that's fair. I, I do think that's fair. I mean, Nebraska, I've heard this argument made before. I can't remember who it was, but it was, I think, a guest on the shut down full cast at some point or another was essentially making the argument about Nebraska's departure mm -hmm. from the big 12, like walking away from all of its, you know, entrenched rivalries, losing, you know, its foothold in Texas to try to compete with Ohio state kids in Ohio, which is a deeply stupid thing to even really try to do. It's fucking hard. No one should do it. Like, best days are behind you is right. Like structurally, it feels like Nebraska's best days are behind them as yeah. a whole. So we'll see if they can, if Matt Rule can shut me the fuck up on that <laughs> point, but odds seem low is what I'm suggesting. There's an interesting discussion to be had, I think probably a different time about whether that, like in hindsight, it's easy to say it was a catastrophic move for them because they did give up their rivalry with Oklahoma. They gave up their rivalry with Colorado. They gave up their rivalry with Missouri. Now all those teams are going to be in other conferences. So if Nebraska was in, was still in the Big 12 as it stands now, would they be in better shape or worse shape than if they'd have gone to one of the two, the only two conferences that's really long-term financially stable? I don't know the answer to that, actually. It's a, a pretty interesting hypothetical, but anyway, a discussion for another time, I guess. Yeah, that is interesting. It's neither here nor there, but there are Aaron Rodgers, messy divorce, Kind of. I feel like it, it is a little messy. Like when you when you have to dump your chosen one, like your, well, yeah. your presumptive golden child, which is what everybody thought Scott Frost would be, a prodigal son returns, you know, situation in the same way that Rogers, you know. Remember like two years ago when people were comparing Scott Frost and Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> 
Remember like every off season of my life where I had to listen to people compare him to not only Scott Frost, but that clown at Penn State. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Miss me. Yeah, that's a separate a separate item, but it is very funny to think back now on, on that comparison. Anyway, on to number five. Yeah, at five, we have reigning Big Ten West champion, Purdue. That's right. Nominally the defending division champ, but uh, <laughs> we, we were looking at this earlier back at the SP Plus rankings from the end of last season, and they were, Purdue was about like 46th at the end of last year, and... They've lost kind of a lot from that team, most notably Jeff Brown, who went what is home for him, really, to Louisville. And with that, it kind of feels like something's been lost here, which is to say Brown at Purdue was always kind of fun, passing game, chaos ball. You know, they they would very regularly, like, jump up and, you know, score a bunch of points against Ohio State or just be interesting basically in a way that Purdue has kind of always been with the way that they like to throw the ball around so much different from just about everybody else in the Big Ten West but anyway with that being gone now off to Louisville they're kind of taking a different track which is they have brought in Illinois defensive coordinator Ryan Walters he was there for the last couple years and obviously did a a really good job under Bielema but now he's trying to I think transition Purdue into something different a place that's Again, really only ever been good when the passing game was at its peak with you know Drew Brees type stuff. And I think he's trying to kind of maintain that identity by he's brought along uh, Graham Harrell, former Texas Tech quarterback, as offensive coordinator. And that makes sense stylistically, but Graham Harrell hasn't been particularly good in his time at USC and West Virginia. So I don't know that you're really going to see the same like, it might look the same stylistically, but I don't know if the performance is going to be the same. They're also losing a lot weapons-wise. Oh, almost everything on offense. Which is really tough. I mean, you're talking about breaking in a new head coach, a defensive-minded head coach, yep. a new offensive coordinator that doesn't have a tremendous track record of success, and replacing Aiden O'Connell, who is an entrenched starter, you know, was an entrenched starting quarterback there. Good old Charlie Jones, Chuck a.k.a. Sizzle. Chuck Sizzle from... The big did okay. Here's a question. I didn't watch enough Purdue games last year. Did he get called Chuck Sizzle all year long, or was that something that Gus Johnson invented for the Big Ten championship game? I don't think he invented it specifically for the Big Ten championship game, but I think he might have invented it at some point during the season. I feel like I heard it come up at some point late in the year. But I feel like Gus Johnson called called all of our games all year. How many Purdue games did he get? So I I can't say for sure. I I feel like I heard it before then, but maybe it's just that I've rewatched the Big Ten Championship game so many times that it feels like I I need someone to weigh in. I need there to be like a... (laughs) We need some help here on this An oral history of Chuck Sizzle. (laughs) But no, really. And Payne Durham, who was, you know, their tight end. one of the best tight ends in the conference. They've lost a lot. You're right. They have Hudson Card coming in, right? He was... Uh, in, in the competition at Texas for the starting job last year. With yours? Ended up, yep. Ended up transferring to Purdue after last season. A couple decent receivers. TJ Sheffield, I think, is probably the number one guy this year. So I'm sure that they'll still be okay on offense with what they have there. Um, Devin Mockaby had a kind of a breakout year at running back, looked like a, a solid player. So maybe between that and building up the defense a little bit farther with what you know, Walters was able to do at Illinois. Certainly, I think he would be able to generate some improvement at Purdue. They were 63rd SP Plus defensively last year, so there's a lot of Pretty room to work your way up. Yeah, yeah, and they do have a couple players there. Cam Allen at safety, Kydron Jenkins at defensive end. 
but as we mentioned with Nebraska, it's not it's not a bunch of like first team All Big Ten guys. They're going to take some time to, or you know, on, on defense collectively, it's going to take some time to turn that unit into something that's more than just sort of average. So all things considered, it just feels like they're probably at least a year or so behind the teams that we haven't yet talked about. Even though they're coming off that division title, it's going to take a little bit of a little bit of transitioning to get, I think, what Ryan Walters wants onto the field in a way that's going to be competitive. Because I do think the bar is going to be a little bit higher this year than it was last year in the West. Is it? I think so. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back to that, I think, when we get I'm to a, the last couple teams. I'm a we'll Big see. Ten West skeptic, generally. <laughs> oh, you should be. Everybody should be. You want to throw out our uh, 2023 comparison here? Yeah, we decided that they're threads. They're, you know, a new Purdue this year, and it's fine, but it just kind of looks like a slightly worse or less interesting version of something that, you know, we've already seen, which is last year's Purdue or prior iterations of Purdue. And that feels like threads. It's just worse Twitter. It's a worse, slightly less interesting iteration of something that already exists. Maybe in a couple of years, it'll be something different. And we'll say like, oh yeah, actually it just took time to figure out what it was. But right now, yeah, it's just sort of a, a worse version of what Purdue already was, I, I think, for, for 2023 specifically. So congratulations, Purdue. You're Mark yeah, Zuckerberg's friends. newest brain child. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you put it that way. <laughs> All right. Number four. We're, we're rolling along here. We've made it to Illinois. And 2022 Illinois was... Really kind of a lot like Iowa, which is to say, let me rephrase that. Iowa with a very good running back, great defense, excruciating offense, fringe top 25 team overall. This team is probably going to be similar, except without Chase Brown and without most of the secondary, which was obviously a huge part of what they were able to do in being so good on defense last year. I mean, Devin Witherspoon was the best corner in the country. Sidney Brown, Jartavius Martin, all those guys went in the first three rounds of the draft. So that's not ideal for this year's Illinois. The good news is that they still should have one of the best defensive lines in the conference with Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph. And the offensive line, I think, is starting to develop into more of what Brett Bielema used to create at Wisconsin, where they just had kind of a regular you know, manufacturing line of, of beefy boys. Yes. I don't think Illinois is quite there yet talent-wise, but you can see that development taking place. Um, they also have Tavian Nicholson should be, a, I think, a pretty good replacement for one of the corners. So I think they're probably going to be able to keep doing most of what they've been doing and generally be in contention. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Illinois kind of came out at the top of the pile. Pending the offense being able to at least tread water relative to last year. It was already pretty bad, but... (laughs) SP plus 99th offense last year. And I just... That's really what worries me about Illinois is I think they might be able to... They were ranked second in SP plus defense, which is very, very impressive. I think they might be able to sustain that or come close to sustaining it, even with those losses, because you're right. I think they have pieces to replace at least some of those departing guys. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they... They didn't stay at two, but stayed within the top 10. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't think Bill Connolly adjusts appropriately for the horrificness of SP Plus. It's really when all the Big Ten West West, offenses. They're all so bad that when they play, just like interplay among each other for the whole second half of the year, you just end up with like a really skewed, all, all the outcomes are skewed because you just, 
you can't really unpack how bad all of those teams are relative to the rest of the country. Correct. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You cannot, there's no adjustment for Big Ten West offense. It's just not possible. And so I think any number that they have in terms of defensive rating is going to be buoyed by that just yeah, a, little a little bit. Yeah, I think that's right. But I'm, I'm worried about that offense. The line is one thing, but Chase Brown was special. I mean, he was, yeah. I think, just behind Blake Corum as the best running back yeah, in the Big when Ten. Remember Purdu- when we previewed the Illinois game last year, we called Chase Brown Blake Corum, but not, not quite as good Blake Corum. And that was like genuinely about as good a compliment as I could give an opposing player. I mean, he was clearly one of the best running backs in the country. And this year they don't have him, so it's probably going to be a mix of Reggie Love and Josh McRae, who I thought both looked decent last year, but I didn't see, like, I didn't see Chase Brown in either of those guys. They have Isaiah Williams, who's a pretty good slot guy, but last year they had really no vertical passing game whatsoever with Tommy DeVito, even though they were like kind of reasonably efficient on short stuff. And now DeVito's graduated, and it looks like it's going to be Ole Miss transfer Luke Altmaier starting at quarterback this year. He didn't really do much of anything of note at Ole Miss, but he was a fairly highly touted recruit. And apparently once he transferred in, he was kind of the like the obvious starter coming out of spring. So maybe there's a little bit of improvement there. I guess we'll see. But I, I'm not, to your point, expecting meaningful improvement on offense unless Altmaier really blows up. And that just doesn't seem very likely in this offense in his first year of real playing time. So... Again, it looks to me like it's kind of, again, another version of last year's team, which, to be fair, was a player or two away from winning the division. I just think I think the bar is a little bit higher, and I don't think Illinois has quite enough on offense, given what they lost on defense. If the defense only treads water and the offense only treads water, I just I don't think that's enough to, to really pull out the division this year. Or to replicate even what they did last year in terms of where they ended up, which was within a hair of the, you know, of the right. championship game. Do you want to give the comp? Sure, sure, I'll do this one. So 2023 comp for Illinois, we've got inflation. <laughs> Surged in 2022, became kind of an unexpectedly relevant, you know, national-ish discussion topic, and is still sort of on a generally upward trajectory, but has tapered a little in 2023. So that's our, our Illinois comp. Depressing. <laughs> tapered a little that's good good from an inflation standpoint when you're talking about inflation rough for (laughs) illinois fans who both are suffering inflation and a marginally worse team according (laughs) to according to our calculations or at least a a treading water team maybe not quite ready to to take that next step to actually winning the division so i think now we're into what really is the kind of upper tier of the conference the teams that i think we're in contender territory yeah I, i think all of these teams we see as being reasonably likely to win the division this year. So take these rankings with a little bit of a grain of salt because, again, I kind of think one through three could be ordered in any way pretty justifiably. But at number three, we've got Minnesota. And the thing about Minnesota is that PJ Flex got that program, I would say, pretty well established in kind of the upper tier of the Big Ten West like we were just talking about. I mean, they've been basically right in contention in every full year since 2019. I'm not counting 2020 since that was a weird, you know, half year. But at the same time, they haven't actually won the division even once in that time. Oh, by the way, funny stat. Last year, <laughs> Minnesota finished 40 spots higher in SP Plus than Purdue and still didn't win the division. It just seems like they're always like right there, but something goes wrong. And this is kind of their last chance. I mean, this is their last chance to win the West since it, again, ceases to exist after this year. And they might because... 
I think they should be basically the same team they have been in a structural sense, which is this is not <laughs> not groundbreaking for the Big Ten West here, but you know, really good. Yeah, stop me when you've heard defense. this before. <laughs> right? Great defense, bad offense. All of these teams are just replicating themselves. But yeah, it's it's really good top ten ish defense. Uninteresting, but reasonably effective run game. I would say that's the one thing Minnesota's had going for them is that they pretty clearly have an offensive identity that they've carved out, even if it's not a particularly good one. But they've got that gigantic O-line. They run a bunch of RPOs, mostly run game oriented, not a whole lot else on offense. The big thing, obviously, for this year is that they've lost both Mo Ibrahim, who had something like 5,000 carries last year, and Tanner Morgan, who I think might have been on their last national title team in 1960. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Morgan's getting replaced by Ethan Kaliakmanis, who was not very good in the relatively little time we saw him last year, although he did have one kind of weirdly huge game against Wisconsin in the regular season finale. And I think he has a pretty underrated group around him. I mean, when we're talking about the Big Ten West here, they have maybe the best tight end in the conference in Brevin Spanford. At receiver, they have Chris Ottman-Bell coming back. Remember, he was really good in 2021 and then missed almost all of last year with injury. A really excellent receiver, uh, Daniel Jackson, another quality outside receiver who was kind of their main guy last year after Ottman Bell went out. A couple quality transfers. So that's a pretty good and interesting group. I do expect, given the identity that we mentioned before, that this is still going to be a pretty heavily run-oriented offense. And while Ibrahim is gone, they did manage to bring in transfer Sean Tyler, who was really good the last couple of years at Western Michigan, had over 1,000 yards both years, and seems like he should be a pretty good fit there. So I think with all those pieces, they should be able to make it kind of work on that side of the ball. Again, I, I don't expect a good offense. It's really the defense that's going to kind of drive things. And they've been pretty consistently turning out defenses that even if they're, to your point, a little bit statistically inflated by playing in the Big Ten West, objectively they've been like somewhere between good and very good. And that seems pretty likely to be the case again this year. It's not an overwhelmingly talented group. Other than maybe at safety, they've got Tyler Newbin, who's a pretty clear like first-team All-Big Ten guy. But it's not totally unlike Michigan's defense, I don't think, in that it's it's just a like a group of pretty good players all over the place. So when you put that with what I mentioned on the offense, like I don't know if that's enough collectively to win the division. It definitely might be. I just think it kind of depends on whether Tyler can be the, the Mo Ibrahim proxy, whether they can get the same sort of production out of the running game and whether Kelly Akmanis can avoid the, the one or two disaster games that have pretty regularly been the thing that's cost Minnesota the West each of the last few years, where they you know play a catastrophically bad game against Iowa or against Wisconsin at, just, at the wrong possible time, or at the worst possible time when that's the, the opportunity they have the, to win the division. Yeah, the Sean Tyler thing is interesting just because I'm looking at his kind of playing history. He was at Western Michigan starting in 2019, mm-hmm. which means he was probably recruited by PJ Fleck and his staff. I think that's right. At Western Michigan, because Fleck's only been at Minnesota since what, like 2017-ish? Something yes, like that? Yes, this is his seventh year. I think that's right. Yeah, so presumably he knows this player quite well. Presumably he scouted and recruited this player and you know, wanted him for his system at, West, at Western Michigan when he was the coach there and thinks that he can you know, plug and play in Minneapolis as well. So that'll be interesting um, just because it's pretty rare that you can 
you know, running back is running back, I suppose. But like in general, I think it's pretty rare that you can like pluck a guy who is specifically designed to fit in your offense. But when it's a guy you, you know, recruited at your last stop, you know damn well that he does, right? He does the things that you want your running backs to do or else you wouldn't have recruited him in the first place. And a guy who's had two straight thousand yard seasons. I mean, usually in college, if you get a guy like that, like, you, you know, you're, you're already standing out and, and getting your opportunity somewhere. But the up transfer situation makes that a little bit different. So it, it does seem like a pretty good fit in that regard. And I think that'll work out reasonably well for Minnesota. But um, just enough uncertainty there for me on the offensive side that I, I couldn't quite put them higher than number three. Not to say that the other teams ahead of them don't have <laughs> questions on offense, but but uh, that's where I've got him, and we'll see. I mean, he had in a loss against Michigan State last year – he had 13 carries for, you know, 5.2 yards a carry and a touchdown. I know that's not a great defense, but... Michigan State last year? <laughs> <laughs> can't go without mentioning it. But he did get just, like, destroyed against Pitt. Nine carries, 13 yards, 1.4 per. So I mean, it's hard to say. Like, I'm just trying to look at, you know, power five comps, yeah. essentially, for up transfer purposes, but... It's just hard to say with a, a smaller conference team when your offensive line might just be getting physically overwhelmed. Right. And you don't really know how that translates, but... Minnesota's got a beefy OL. He's not going to have that problem. Right. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, with him having been recruited by Fleck, or, or some of the people on Fleck staff, at least, you got to feel like they feel pretty comfortable about his ability and, and fit in that offense, so... Yeah, I think that should work out reasonably well, and they're going to have a real shot at the division. It's going to depend on, I think, a couple games and how they shake out. Okay, so for our 2023 comp for Minnesota, this is the one I'm the most excited about. But I have to preface this with a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the series finale of Succession. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen the end of Succession and you're interested in seeing the end of Succession, maybe just skip forward like 45 seconds because there will be spoilers here. Minnesota is Tom Wamsgans. Yeah. Because if they win this thing, it's not going to be because they're particularly interesting or exciting or whatever, but it's because they've positioned themselves correctly and other teams that are seemingly better positioned than Minnesota couldn't do what they needed to do. Poor Kendall Roy. <laughs> I think that nails it. Right? I mean, it has to be. They're not they're not super exciting. They're not super interesting, but they could lurk and be there laying in wait when someone else doesn't get the job done. And I think that makes them up. that makes them Tom Wamsgans. Canonical St. Paul native Tom Wamsgans. That's right. Look at you, Minnesota. All right. And that brings us to team number 2, which is certainly a team that has a chance to be something more than that. And that is Wisconsin. I'm already hearing our Michigan fans, who is basically everybody that listens to this podcast, right. collective minds exploding because they know by process of elimination who our <laughs> number one team is. And I can already hear their brains starting to fall out of their ears. But we'll get there. We'll, we'll come back to that. We'll get there. A second, we have Wisconsin. We do. And to me, this is pretty easily the most compelling team in the West and probably the Big Ten as a whole. Obviously, last year went uh, not well, so they are fully starting over with Luke Fickle and a totally new staff after having a pretty remarkable degree of continuity for basically the last 30 years, when you think about it, from Barry Alvarez to Brett Bielema to Paul Christ. I'm not counting the one weird Gary Anderson year, but there was pretty much near continuity there for a long time, and now there's not. And on one hand, 
when I think about Luke Fickle and what he did at Cincinnati, he kind of seems to fit reasonably well with that historical Wisconsinness. You know, with the the, the defenses, the kind of pro style offense. You know, it, it sort of generally was aligned with most of what we've seen from Wisconsin for forever. But on the other hand, what was really interesting was that one of his first moves after he was hired by Wisconsin was to go out and get offensive coordinator Phil Longo from North Carolina, which is really fascinating to me because I don't know how much y'all have seen of North Carolina the last few years, but that does not at all align with what Wisconsin has been. He is, I mean, at least from what we've seen of him over the past several years. They're air raid as hell. He is throw the ball down the field all the time. Very passing game oriented. I had to look up some numbers here. The last three years, North Carolina had Sam Howell, right? And then Drake May last year. Averaged over 400 attempts per year. Last year, Drake May had 517 pass attempts. No, that's stupid. That's a fuck ton. (laughs) And I'm just really, really curious to see what this Wisconsin offense is going to be, especially this year, right? And kind of a transition year. They do still have Braylon Allen, who I think is one of the better running backs in the country, like probably top five. And I'm sure they're going to try to figure out, you know, how to incorporate him and they're not going to like vacate that entirely. But with Longo coming in, they were able to lure transfer quarterback Tanner Mordecai, who's been, I would say, somewhere between, you know, good and very good the last couple of years at SMU and very much part of a more air raidy system than anything Wisconsin's had. Certainly an upgrade on Graham Mertz and Chase Wolf and whatever other random guys they've thrown out there the past couple of years. But, you know, how does all that fit together? And if you're going from traditional Wisconsinness to something that's much more air raidy, the big question for me is, do you have an offensive line that can actually manage that, like, at all? Because pass blocking has not been a strength or even a thing that team was really asked to do much. And that feels like a huge adjustment to me that could go really poorly this year. It's just a really interesting situation. So I'm fascinated by that one. I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on 517 pass attempts. I just (laughs) want to make clear how absurd that is. Like, that's 130 more passing attempts than C.J. Stroud. Jesus Christ. Like, that's actually absurd. C.J. Stroud had 389 passing attempts last year. And I feel like J.J. had maybe a little over 300. So are we talking like a full 200 more passes than McCarthy threw last year? Probably. You know, think about what that means on a per game basis, like what 15 to 20 passes per game. It just is a totally different offense. And and from what you've seen at Wisconsin, again, forever. Right. right? That's going to be at Wisconsin. That's going to be at Wisconsin. It's not going to be at some ACC school doing something crazy. It's not going to be in Lincoln Riley land. Like, no, no, no. That's going to be at Wisconsin. It's, it's very difficult for me to wrap my brain around, honestly. I will say they were a little bit less skewed with Sam Howell when they had a couple of pretty good running backs at North Carolina. That was It, it was definitely not Wisconsin-y in style, but it was more balanced. But you're still talking about 400 passes a year. So, yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be really interesting. And then on the other side of the ball, it was interesting because that's kind of where Wisconsin, like, <laughs> I think Wisconsin still finished 14th in SP plus defense last year, but that was actually kind of a drop off for them, especially given what we talked about with the Big Ten West offenses. And Jim Leonard is out, apparently taking a year off before he decides what he, what he wants to do. But Fickle brought along good buddy uh, Mike Tressel, a name you might recognize. <laughs> oh, geez. He was, uh, of course, at Michigan State a few years ago and then was Marcus Freeman's replacement as defensive coordinator at Cincinnati the last couple of years. 
and I, I do think that will be a, a, back to being a very good defense. Like the linebacker core looks really good. They've got Miami and Jong Meta. Uh, apologies if I'm not pronouncing that quite right, but he's going to be one of the better linebackers in the Big Ten. They've also got alongside him C.J. Gates and Jordan Turner, and a, a few other like quality guys on defense. So it should be, you know, something resembling a typical Wisconsin defense. I, I think I would expect them to be at least good given what Luke Fickle has generally been able to do at Cincinnati. You know, he's a, a pretty good defensive coach, and I think Trestle's a pretty good defensive coordinator. So that side of the ball I, I think will be fine. But when you put that together with the uncertainty on offense, I just don't know. I mean, for what it's worth, if I were I, – I thought about this a little bit when I saw that he hired Phil Longo, which is I think if I were a Power 5 athletic director and I were in a position with uh, you know a, a team that could contend for – Big Ten slash national titles, maybe. I, I think what Wisconsin just did is probably what I would do, which is find a proven defensive-oriented head coach and, like, a passing game wizard as offensive coordinator. So when you think about, like, Oklahoma and uh, Georgia wasn't really quite the same with the passing game, but, you know, Georgia and Bama, when they really have kind of progressed to that next level of dominating the sport, it's been because the passing game kind of fully came into 21st century form. And that to me feels like the most consistent approach that has really worked for national powers. So I, I think that's what I would do if it were left up to me to, to hire a staff like that. But whether it actually works here at Wisconsin, and especially this year knowing what it's going to look like, I just feel like there's such a huge range of potential outcomes on offense and thus for the team overall. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If they can put together even a mid-offense, they're winning this division, right? Yeah, if you have like a 40th-ranked offense that's like, you know, reasonably efficient in the passing game and has Braylon Allen on the ground, like, yeah, that, that, that probably wins the division. 40th would have been the best offense in the Big Ten West last year. Yeah, and, and probably the, <laughs> other than Purdue, probably the best by, what, 40 spots? I mean... Yeah, basically. No, I think there were a bunch of them like in the 56 to 60 range, but like... I'm not sure. I don't think... All right, we're going to look it up. Here's the question. Where did Nebraska finish? Nebraska. Because Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, and Iowa were all below 80th. Nebraska was 71st on offense. Okay, so Purdue was the only team above 71st on offense, right? I'm going to find out. Yeah, Purdue was 50th, and that was the best by a wide margin. I think Nebraska was next at 71. <sighs> so <laughs> just be like mid. Be like power right. five mid on the bar offense. Is not high. And you're winning that division. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So the question is, with this offensive facelift that Wisconsin is getting, can they do that or not? And it definitely makes them the most compelling team in the Big Ten West. I, I don't think that's really up for debate. Yeah, I mean, with what you just said, like when you think about if they can be like even average or above average on offense, like by power five standards, 10 and two is totally within reach. Also, if the offensive line is a complete disaster and the receivers and Mordecai aren't on the same page for half the season, like six and six, seven and five is also, I I think, pretty within reach. I just, (laughs) I don't know. So that band of uncertainty is what really makes it hard for me to pick Wisconsin to actually win the division, which is why they're number two. I have maybe marginally more faith in the team we had a, <laughs> we have ahead of them. You but know where we're going, guys. Be do. afraid. Just, be I, very afraid. But yeah, I, I think 
you're right that this is the most compelling team. It's the most interesting team. And I think it, it is the team that, given what I was saying about the way they've built their staff, that I think is best positioned to contend for meaningful things in the Big Ten once the West is gone and the conference is all smashed together in 2024. I, I just don't know about 2023. And so on that note, I guess the uh, 2023 comparison that we want to use, Wisconsin is chat GPT. Really interesting, really fascinating possibilities for where it could go. And frankly, in both the near term and the long term, it could go very well or very poorly with the caveat that a hypothetical Wisconsin disaster wouldn't necessarily mean the end of humanity. So slightly lower stakes in that regard, but it's a decent comp, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Potentially transformative, potentially disastrous. Or potentially nothing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. who knows? Fair enough. All right. And that leaves our, our number one in which... We have, begrudgingly, perhaps, <laughs> selected Cade McNamara's Iowa Hawkeyes. Cade McNamara's Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, you probably surmised this already based on our uh, our approach here for counting up. But yeah, we are uh, apparently investing in Iowa and the Brian Ferentz offense, which I'm already regretting now that we're here. But uh, yeah, here we are. It's the drive to 325, I guess is what they're calling it. Wait, 325 what? Yards? No, no, 320. So... So the uh, the fail son Ferentz, right, is now contractually obligated to put up at least 25 points per game to keep his job. And assuming that they play 13 games, I mean, if they don't make a bowl game, that's... They didn't itself. get there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, they didn't get there. So over 13 games, if you assume that Iowa plays 13, that means they need 325 total points next year for Brian Ferentz to hit his mark. That's the, uh, that's the target. Oh, that's ambitious. <laughs> I mean... It it's is, not. but also it isn't, because that is an exceedingly low bar. It's really kind of remarkable that, like, I know Iowa has always been this, but I don't think we realize how far the Iowa offense has fallen, because it used to be that Iowa, if you go back, like, five or six years, Iowa was more like what you just mentioned with Wisconsin, where they were, like, you know, 64th on offense and then, like, fifth on defense. And that would be enough to win nine games. Last year, they were 118th in SP Plus offense, like truly legitimately one of the worst offenses in the country not by power five standards but we're talking about bad even by like max standards if phil parker is responsible for 165 safeties does brian ferentz get to keep his job yes <laughs> Which that makes doesn't the bar seem, even lower that doesn't seem fair <laughs> it, it doesn't because they might get like 40 <laughs> that's bullshit yeah i mean with what i like we're just we're talking about truly horrific performance standards here and that's the backdrop for what Iowa just needs to be a little bit better. I just want to pause and point out that you're saying truly horrific performance standards as it relates to the team that we have chosen to win <laughs> the division. Like, what are we doing here, guys? Thus is the nature of the Big Ten West. <laughs> but on that note, Cade McNamara, it is not an exaggeration, really, to say that Cade McNamara is pretty easily the best quarterback Iowa has put on the field since at least Jake Rudock, maybe longer. I mean, the wholesale offensive incompetence makes it a little bit hard to kind of extract how bad the quarterbacks have been from how bad the offense has been managed. So it's a little hard to say, but just having a guy who, like, A, generally knows what he's doing, and B, is a pretty accurate passer, especially in kind of the short to mid-range stuff, I feel like that's going to be a pretty significant benefit for their offense. My concern is the line. The Iowa yeah. line has fallen off a cliff. We're very accustomed to seeing them be quite good. And overall, they have been quite bad. 
which is to say, like, when you look up their offensive line stats, Mm -hmm. they're among the worst in FBS, period. I mean, like, I'm talking about rankings below 110 for line yards, standard down line yards, passing down line yards, success rate. It's like, another thing that I think is a little bit hard to unpack from like all of it's been so bad that it's kind of hard to say which part has really struggled because of, you know, poor development or poor talent or whatever else at that position versus just all of it going down the drain under Brian Ferentz. Right. My problem is, you know, Michigan fans are in a unique position to speak on Cade McNamara and one of the things that he has a hard time with, or at least it was kind of odd because I didn't really feel like he had a hard time with it in 2021, which is to say when he was under pressure, I thought he did a great job of in 2021, avoiding negative plays, getting rid of the ball, like sensing when pressure was coming and just bailing when he needed to bail. He was really good at avoiding sacks for a guy who was not very mobile. But in 2022 and early 2022, he was actively bad at that. I mean, in games against Hawaii, he wasn't pulling that stuff off. And I think our takeaway, though, was that it seemed that he was very tightly wound in those situations. Like he was always trying to do more than was there. Like he was trying to win the starting job every time he dropped back to pass. And that's just not a way that a quarterback can can really play and be effective. Right. Maybe without have you know feeling like he's got to constantly be looking over his shoulder, he can be a little better in that regard. But my problem is, I mean, he's not going to be able to do much of anything if that line doesn't get its shit together. And so while I do agree with you that Cade McNamara is a significant upgrade for Iowa at the quarterback position... That's not a position where he can make it happen on his own. Oh, no. And I'm not sure the rest of it is there. The line, the the upside on the line is all five guys are exactly the same. They have no attrition or change on yep. their on their OL. On the other hand, those guys are bad. <laughs> it wasn't a very good So, like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those things where if they can improve substantially and take a step forward, that's all good news for Iowa. The problem is that if they don't and they're – the same guys are the same guys year after year, that's a problem for them. And and that's where I have, frankly, the most hesitation. Because when you consider Cade McNamara plus Eric All, who Michigan fans are right. also intimately familiar with, we can see that like that's kind of a match made in heaven for Iowa. I mean, like dependable quarterback, gigantic monster of a tight end who catches basically everything. Well, and again, based on what we saw in 2021 with Cade, I mean, he was really good at getting rid of the ball quickly and avoiding sacks, right? Avoiding negative plays. And part of that was even when he was getting pressure, he was able to get pretty quick release, was able to get the ball out, even if it was underneath for check down kind of stuff. And nobody loves to check the ball down more than Iowa. But when you've got Eric All and you've got, uh, what, 98 degrees legend Luke Lachey is still there, (laughs) like you've got a, a really good tight end combo. So that actually seems like it it fits pretty well, I think, collectively. Again, it's not going to be good, <laughs> but is it going to be good enough? I think it might be between a competent quarterback, a couple good tight ends. There's very little receiver, frankly, but at running back, I think Tyler Goodson's pretty good. It's hard, uh, again, I keep saying it's hard to unpack a little bit with, with how bad the offensive line play has been slash how bad the play calling has been slash all of that. But if it's just not good 
rather than fucking horrific. <laughs> like we were saying with Wisconsin, that's probably enough for Iowa to win the West because ultimately I don't have any reason to think the defense is going to be anything other than fantastic again. It is basically every year under Phil Parker, and this year in particular I think they've got a lot to work with on that side of the ball. Just a, a quick rundown. Uh, Cooper DeGene should be one of the best corners in the Big Ten, was excellent last year. Uh, Joe Evans at defensive end. Nick Jackson is a really good linebacker who transferred in from Virginia to replace Jack Campbell. Also on the defensive line, they've got Noah Shannon at defensive tackle, Logan Lee at defensive tackle. Both those guys were really good players last year. So it's a pretty loaded front seven especially. And again, with Phil Parker, like I'm really never worried about the Iowa secondary. So the defense is going to be very, very good. They also probably have the best kicking game in the country because, of course, they do. It's Iowa. They've got Torrey Taylor and, and uh, Drew Stevens. Torrey Taylor is probably the best punter in the country coming back. So they have everything else, and it's really just a matter of whether Brian Ferentz can put two brain cells together finally and figure out how to field something resembling respectability on that side of the ball. I personally think that he will, given the the pressure and the addition of Frankly, a quarterback who's played in a not-Iowa offense and hasn't been fucked up by that yet. <laughs> I think that matters. And I just wanted to point out that, real quickly, out of the three times in the last decade that Kirk Ferentz has lost five-plus games in a season, two of the three times the next year he's responded with 10-plus wins. I think he kind of knows when the pressure is on and when it's not, and you do seem to see that in Iowa's results. And so... Yeah, again, I'm putting some faith in in that and, sadly, in, in Brian Ferentz, which, uh, but <laughs> I guess that means we're uh, we're picking Iowa to win this thing and, and make one last trip to Indianapolis as the probably sacrificial lamb representative for the last time for the West Division. Okay, I have a question for you about Brian Ferentz and Iowa. Okay. Okay. Who has more receiving touchdowns in 2023? Mm-hmm. Iowa's whole offense okay. or Marvin Harrison Jr.? <sighs> Iowa's whole lo- Okay, so all players collectively, not just Iowa's receivers. Correct. How many touchdowns do you think Iowa's oh, receivers, God. tight ends, all, all the people who catch passes, how many touchdowns do you think they accounted for last year? Last year? Yes. Uh, nine. Seven. Seven total? Correct. God, Four cool. of them were Luke Lachey, one was Laporta, okay. and then one one each went to you know other receivers. Sure. How many touchdowns do you think Marvison, Marvin Harrison Jr. had last year? Like 14. Fuck, how'd you know that? Exactly 14? <laughs> You're so stupid. No, it was 14. It's been too much time watching college football. It was 14. So does that happen again or not? Oh, God. Um... He doubled them up last year solo. God, that, that's a tough call. I, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm struggling with this one. I, I do think Cade's going to put up... What, what did Cade have in 2021? In passing touchdowns? Yeah, at Michigan in that offense, which was pretty run-oriented. Yeah, I would say every Michigan offense pretty run-oriented. is pretty run-oriented. <laughs> All right, I'm looking it up. Cade McNamara, according to ESPN... Had 15 passing touchdowns in 2021. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. All right. He's not going to top that at Iowa. There's no fucking way. I, I don't think he tops that at Iowa. I was going to say like, like 12, 13, something like that. I th- about one a game is a pretty reasonable expectation, I think, in that offense. Is that more or less than Marvin Harrison Jr.? <laughs> that, that's what I was debating was, do I think Marvin Harrison has a drop-off this year? There's no C.J. Stroud, right? He's got his buddy Kyle McCord, his high school quarterback. 
but that high school QB connection, right. baby. And also, if I'm a first-year starter at Ohio State and I've got any question about where I'm going with the ball, I'm just fucking throwing it to Marvin Harrison Jr. And I feel like that's probably the right decision 99% of the time. Correct. So I got to go with, no, I, I don't think Iowa's receiver is top Marvin Harris. I think it's going to be a similar number for him. I'll go like 15 this year, and I'm going to go like 13 for Kate. I'll give him one per game. All right. Fair enough. That's that's really bleak for, <laughs> especially since this that would is be a the team we think is going to win the Big Ten West. Let's Big Ten just, West, baby. <laughs> my God. Okay, then. <laughs> You're really not making it easy on me to like decide that this is what we're doing here, but I suppose it's it's all we've got. So. Well, like I said a few minutes ago, I think Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all of those teams to me are roughly on the same tier. I wouldn't give any one of them more than like. Uh, 25% chance of winning the division. To me, it's like 25%, 20%, 20%, and then the field or something like that. So it's not like I have undying faith here in Iowa to put it all together, but I have maybe just a little bit more faith in Cade McNamara and Eric Hall and, and knowing a little bit more of what they've got coming in than Wisconsin and what that's going to be, or, or Minnesota kind of putting together more on offense than what they've had with the losses of Mo Ibrahim and uh, and Tanner Morgan. It's just it's it's a lot of uncertainty, but to me that does make it actually pretty interesting in that regard. I know I said the bar is a little bit higher. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> Maybe at the end of the year we'll be saying again, like, oh god, another fucking bullshit eight and fourteen. <laughs> I'm but, begging that division to field exactly one competent offense. It would just actually be fine one. to me if they didn't field a good team this year, since this is the the one last year where the East champion is not or they're going to have to contend with that at the end, and it matters for conference championship game purposes. I mean, I guess, like, you want it to be easy one last time well, before maybe it gets for hard, Michigan, is yeah. what you're suggesting. Right. Fair enough. But from, an, like, an entertainment or an interest level standpoint, yeah. It's been so frustrating to watch this, like, sham of a division year after year after year and know that it's, like, it's just so uncompetitive with the East. It does feel kind of good, actually, to know that, like, these teams are actually going to have to start trying to compete and not just trying to out caveman each other with 1870s football where you can win every game 13 to 9 and go 8 and 4 and get into the conference championship game. Like that's there's just no chance that's ever going to fly in 2024 and beyond. So I do think it's actually going to be really interesting next year to see okay, Wisconsin has made a real commitment. Like they're they're doing something and trying to compete in the Big 10 collectively, not just the Big 10 West. Is Minnesota, is Iowa, is, I guess we'll see like what Illinois and Nebraska become, but from a fan standpoint, what are the like realistic expectations in a fully consolidated Big Ten? And what are like administration expectations for how many games you win when, you know, you can't, again, you can't win eight, nine games and go to a Big Ten championship game every few years and say, hey, we hung a division banner. It was a successful year. Like, it's just going to be totally different. And so that's going to be interesting, but we've got to, one more slugfest this year to get through first. <laughs> we haven't given our comp. Oh, God, Iowa's right. 2023 thing is Nepo babies <laughs> because of course it is. Yeah, this one probably doesn't require a lot of explanation, but uh, yeah, Brian Ferentz, it is your time to either be something or very much not be something. This is it. So, are you gonna be Kendall Roy almost drowning or Kendall Roy floating upwards in the water? <laughs> those, are, those are your choices. It's do or die, baby. Yeah, pick your fighter. I mean, no, there really is nothing else. Brian Ferentz is the ultimate Nepo baby. He is college football's number one special boy, Nepo baby. <laughs> and yep. he either has to get it together or he doesn't. I don't know. That's it. 
So that's our Big Ten West preview. We made it all the way through. And, we uh, did a Big Ten like West little... preview and picked Iowa. I can't, <laughs> I can't even. I, what are we doing? Honestly, we should be canceled for this. <laughs> Can I go our, back and pick Wisconsin? Actually, <laughs> our listeners are gonna th- like. They're gonna throw us into the like ocean. Okay, like, like the, the optimistic view is that Wisconsin has an offense and Wisconsin wins. Uh, optimistic from the st- again from the standpoint of like entertainment or like fan value. Wisconsin is like the, the nihilist pick of like, it, it doesn't actually matter. It's always going to be Iowa. I mean, it's hard so to pick what feels like a us. rebuild, which I think is like Wisconsin is, this is a full well, yeah. facelift situation. They're, At least on offense. The defense, I think, will still be good. They're trying to maintain some continuity there, but it, it's an overhaul from the coaching staff standpoint, right? So when that's your situation, it's really hard, even in a weak division, to say, yeah, that's it. They're going to put it all together this year in year one without having any idea what it's going to look like. Right. And so it kind of yields Iowa or Minnesota by default. And those are basically the same thing. Like, you know, putrid offense, good defense. It's the formula in that division. And so the first person to first team to break rank and field anything but an absolutely ass offense (laughs) is going to win. And I mean, like, I think that's it, right? Like, that's our prediction. Yeah, we we call, uh, you've probably heard us reference this before on the podcast, but when we watch like Wisconsin basketball, right, it's basketball. That's Correct. The, the terminology that we've uh, Horrific come up with. and gross. And that is basically what all the Big Ten West offenses are. But yeah, if it's going to come down to, I, I can't really pick Wisconsin because I just don't know, and then it's either Iowa or Minnesota, I frankly have more faith in Cade McNamara, Eric Hall, Luke Lachey, and God, even Brian Ferentz than I do in... Minnesota with a, a couple of new guys who like the running game is probably going to be okay, but otherwise I just uh, again I, I don't really know what to expect there either. So it's uh yeah it's not exactly a an Ohio State Michigan situation here. <laughs> you can uh, say that we again. will get that next week when we do our Big Ten East preview, which we've got maybe three legit playoff contenders in that division. So that's going to be a little bit more uh, more interesting perhaps. But uh, anyway, we'll get to that next week. We will. And with that, if you're still here, thank you for listening, and we'll see you back then. 